Uh, Christmas Eve services. We are going to 7, 9, and 11 p.m. As I'm just going to reiterate everything Chris said so you guys don't forget because Christmas Eve, they're a little shorter services, but they're just a lot of fun. And it's the first half, you're going to be like, what in the world's even going on? And the second half, you're going to be like, oh, I get it because that's how we are. You know, we're, we're cool like that. Make you all guessing and figuring it out what's going on. 7, 9, and 11, uh, invite people. If you have friends that are totally computer savvy and you are computer savvy, you can go on our website, as Chris said, and we have that little evite. You click on it, you can put in their email address. Don't spam people. Okay, because people don't like that. But uh, you can send people a little evite, kind of Christmas Eve, stuff like that. In the back, we have this order form. We, uh, on a whim, Mikey, the other sound guy, and I, we, we made these hats. Uh, and they, they, you know, they're, they're flex fit hats, and they have a little element logo on them. And people are like, hey, those are cool. So we decided to see if you guys wanted some. So there's the order form in the back. Uh, back there, you only have blue and brown hats. You can pick any color hat you want. Okay, it doesn't have to be blue or brown. You can pick gray, charcoal, red. It, it doesn't really matter. So you, you can change whatever. Because everybody looks at it and they're like, oh, blue or brown, blue or brown. And you can change any color you want. It's fine. And either of the two logos, we just have to get 15 before we can order some hats. So there's that. And then yesterday, this is one of the coolest things. We did our Christmas for kids yesterday. Woo! You guys look. What in the world is that? We, we, we help some families who, who can't uh, do Christmas on their own. So I got a couple of pictures for you of some kids. Like, Obviously, you know, she can't go anywhere at all because she crawls, so she can't. Uh, you got another one? Yay. Here's another one. Jesus is like, be quiet, kids, you're in a stranglehold. Uh, here's another one. Anyway, uh, now you can, sorry, you can. There you go. Uh, uh, Christmas for kids. This, this is what happened last year. We did, we did six kids last year. This year we did 24. Okay. So, yeah, and, and, that's, and that's thanks to you guys uh, helping out for all that. So it was great. A lot of families got help. I even actually have one more uh, family that I heard about last night at 10 o'clock, and we're going to try and do something for them to help them out as well. Uh, and, and along going with this, this really ties into the message that we're going to talk about today. Uh, Doug Brown also, he, he is overseeing what we're calling a, a kind of a project ministry. If there's some people that you know that have some things at their homes, that they can't get to, again, maybe they're, they're single moms, maybe they're elderly, maybe some other things are going on. Uh, let us know that because he has a group of guys that will go out and actually help fix and remodel, maybe do some different things. Now, he said, let them know we're, we're kind of handymen. We're not like professional contractors. So, you know, it's not like they're going to tear down your house and rebuild it. It's not like that, that TV show with that guy from Trading Spaces. See, I don't know trading space. I don't know what the new ship. Anyway, they're not that, but they'll come and they'll help out and fix some things and do some things. Like uh, there is an elderly person who can't, couldn't get out the back of their house because their stairs were rotten, so they rebuilt their stairs, uh, things like that. So we're, if you know somebody else that needs some help, let us know. If you'd like to be involved in that, uh, Doug will be here next service, uh, but if you would like to be involved with that, let me know and I will get you uh, Doug's information as well. All right? All right, stand the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> This is Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, and it says this, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that would be true for us, that we would be a people who live as your people, and that those around us would know who you are because of the life that we live and the God that we point to by the things that we do. Amen. Have a seat. So today is our last week on stuff. Merry Christmas. Okay. Uh, we've done six weeks on, on stuff. This is actually a series on money. Uh, this is the way it worked. The first week we talked about how everything was God's. The second week we talked about uh, 
was a work, and that God works hard and works well. He intends for us to work hard and well. The third week we talked about saving and investing, and that God intends for you and I to save and invest, not to worry about tomorrow because He is God of tomorrow, but that we are also to make some plans. And <clears throat> if they're not His, He will also re-steer us in the direction He wants us to go. So we save and invest. Uh, the fourth week we talked about how money is unrelated to worship, and last week we talked about how Jesus saw stuff and money and then this we're going to talk about how it kind of works out in the early church and what they did with that. In January, we'll start the book of Ephesians, which I know you're all so excited to do. It's actually going to be 19 weeks long, so you're going to be done with Ephesians and be like, I know everything there is to know about Ephesians. That's how it works. If you have a Bible, open to Acts chapter 4. I promise you it is in the Bible. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. Acts is the stories or the story of the birth of the early church. And so I'm going to show you how stuff and money was actually handled in the early church. So Acts chapter 4, verse 32, is where we'll start this morning. See, just like that. Acts 4, 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. These are the first followers. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles, that's the first leaders, continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Literally, it is God's grace was so powerfully upon them that there were no needy persons among them. Now, I've got to give you a disclaimer, and it's always sad that I have to give you this disclaimer up front because of how people have distorted the Bible and God's call and stuff like that. This is not talking about socialism. This is not talking about taking from those who work and giving it to those who will not work or who are lazy. This is about everyone was working hard, but they are in a terrible economic crisis. 80 to 90% of the people around them are starving. Okay? So it's a terrible crisis, and they are all working hard, so they take care of each other. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, If a man will not work, he shall not eat. This is about real people working very hard in real ways, loving a big God and serving Him and living for Jesus in their life. Now, the average person in this church at this time, how do they testify about the resurrection? How do they testify about that? It's not by big lofty speeches. It's not by ideals about heaven or being left behind or who's in and who's out. What it is about is grace. And how is this grace testified? That there were no needy persons among them. That's how that grace is testified to people. The resurrection wasn't just this lofty ideal played out. that played out in their lives every day that everyone's needs were met. In this setting, the resurrection was about economics and checkbooks and food. That's what it's about. Now, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of background here, and then we'll come back to this in a little bit. But I'm going to give you background so you understand how this all works. Uh, at this time, Rome rules the known world. And then Rome is actually ruled by a series of what's called Caesars. Uh, Caesar Tiberius ruled from 14 to 37 A.D. There he is, uh, white and pasty, apparently, made out of marble. Anyway, that's Caesar Tiberius. He actually ruled when Jesus walked, when Jesus had his public ministry. Then you had a guy named Caligula. Now, this guy's really funny. Uh, he ruled 37 to 41 A.D., and he makes his horse a senator. And then he actually, after that, he makes his horse his chief counsel. That's a great guy. Uh, from 41 to 54, you have a guy named Claudius. Hey? Yeah. Uh, now, these guys, they rule the known world. And what they would proclaim to people that they ruled is that they were gods on the earth. Okay, they told Rome that they were sent by God to renew humanity and bring peace and prosperity. One of the ways they did this is by making everybody bow and say, Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't, they would kill you 
crucify you or enslave you. The Roman general Cassius actually enslaved 30,000 people in one day because they would not bow and say Caesar is Lord. In the, town of, uh, in the town of Sepphoris in 4 AD, Verus, a Roman general, there was a city revolt because they did not want to say this, and he crucified 2,000 people in one day. In one day. So eventually, from 54 to 68 AD, comes a guy named Nero. And Nero hates Christians. It's, it's not just software that you burn your CDs on, okay? Nero <laughs> hates Christians. His backyard is a mile long, and at his parties, he would roll Christians in tar, tie them to stakes, light them up, so you can have light for your... Oh, hey, look, great light for the party. It makes noise, too. It's, that's kinda, it was terrible. Okay? This, this is how they would see it. Now, the Roman government had some key slogans. Okay? Here are some key slogans that they had. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved than that of Caesar. Okay? Here's another one. Uh, that Caesar was to bring in the reign of everlasting peace. Okay? Even though he continues to actually kill people and put people to death, uh, they, uh, they do extreme military power. Again, Caesar is Lord is another one. Declaration of trust in Caesar. And then you have another one that their salvation is found in no one else. In Caesar. Towns where Caesar worship uh, was sent to the central religion were called ecclesias. Ecclesias. In Acts 4.11, you have one of the first sermons by one of the first Christians, a guy named Peter, and he talks about the risen Jesus in a far corner of the empire to a sect of Jews, and this is what Peter says. He is the stone the builders, you builders rejected has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It is like he stole the Caesar bumper sticker and put it on his donkey. And said, this is the true thing. The first Christians, they were a politically subversive group, and they used the government's propaganda against it, and they spun that. A group like this that mocks the Caesars and twists the tyrannical government's claims, how long are they going to last? Not long, not long. Caesars hate these people. They hate these Christians. Uh, after this, you have, you have a guy, his name, name was... Um, Vespasian. Vespasian comes into power from 69 to 75. He, uh, a couple of his sons rule after him. You get to a guy named Domitian. Domitian ruled from 81 to 96. He was so evil that Christians and Jews started to call him the beast. And the people that he sent would either come by land or by sea. So he was the beast that came by land and by sea. Uh, in certain marketplaces, you had to have his uh, symbol on your forehead or hand to buy and sell in marketplaces. Hmm, sounds familiar. Yes, it does. Uh, and, so, and so Domitian was like, these Christians don't think I'm Lord. They don't think I am God. I want to kill them. And so he goes and he starts killing them. And the more he kills them, the more they multiply. Death was actually inspiring. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Just two chapters over. Acts chapter 4, verse 33 says this. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus openly defying Caesar and claiming that the world is not going to be saved by Caesar, but by Jesus. Now, the Roman culture is built on a ranking system. It works like this. You have Roman and non-Roman. Okay? Uh, that's, are you in or are you out? Do you have your papers? Okay? That's, that's how that works. The second one was wealthy and poor. You have the haves with power and those who had nothing. This is your dress and your walk and the manner of your bearing. The third way was the company that you kept. Who surrounds you? Do you surround yourself with rich or poor people? Who hangs out with you? The next was slaves or free. Everyone in this culture is either a slave or a free. The standard in a Roman home was you had people that you owned, and when you got tired of them, you could sell them, give them away, trade them, buy more, whatever you wanted to do. 
Now, someone at this point, so you know who their slaves were, they might tattoo their slaves, draw and drive an all through their ears so you know that they were somebody's. The next you had male or female. Male or female. In the Roman household, the standard is what was called the patrifamilius. This is the husband had the rule of life and death over his wife and his children. You heard that right. <laughs> the rule of life and death over his wife and children. He is the Lord and the master of his home. Now, Aristotle, who today many modern philosophers go, oh, he was so enlightened. Not so much. This is the, one of the most benign quotes that he actually has about men and women. He says, the role of a young man is to be courageous and woman is to obey. Okay? <laughs> Amen! <laughs> That's not in the Bible, sorry. You know. uh, yeah. as, now, as, as a Roman, you, you wanted your wife to give birth to boys, not necessarily to, to girls because you wanted to carry on your family line. If, if your wife gave birth to a daughter, you could take her outside the city to a mountain or to a temple. Most time they would put them in like an earthenware pot and they would leave them there to die and they would call this exposure. And it was legal and perfectly acceptable. So you have a ranking system, man, woman, slave, free, Roman, non-Roman, wealthy, and the masses. Now turn to the book of Gal- leave your finger in Acts, okay, where it's at, but also to open to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And you look at what the first Christians are actually saying about this. Those who did not believe that Caesar brought salvation, but that Jesus did. How did these, these Christians live this out? How did people see Jesus in their lives by some of the things that they did? Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says... You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So in re- Jesus' reality, things are different than what you know. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine someone saying this to you in this culture? Everyone is equal. Everyone is equal. Masters and slaves, Jews and Greeks, men and women. All human beings in the sight of God are equal. Now, Thomas Cahill, who's an historian, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but he wrote a book called The Desire of the Everlasting Hills. And he talks about how Jesus' teaching infused these people and it changed the world. And he talks about this section in Galatians and the Apostle Paul. And as much as people want to say today that, you know, Scripture's antiquated, oh, it's outdated. No, it's not. It's very applicable to our day. Because these are thoughts that no one else has ever had really before. The equality of human beings before God. And Thomas Cahill argues that this place is the first place in the history of humanity where somebody coherently argued about the equality of mankind. And it is because of Jesus and what he has done. Imagine you in this culture and those Christians claim, What? Our ranking system is no good? What? Now today we read this and we go, Yeah, that's right, right on. But we today still have a ranking system. We rank people as well. Maybe for you and I, it's like this. Uh, you're checking out at the grocery store, and you look over, and there's a magazine rack with, with pretty and important people on the covers of these. You, know, you want to have self-control and be, oh, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look. Oh, what did Tiger Woods do? You know, and, and, you're like, and, and then you go, and, and you start to look. Now, what if we came out with a new magazine, and this new magazine was called Everyone? Everyone. There you go. Everyone. And the cover's like normal people. You know, and the tagline is, everyone is beautiful. And it's all shots of people waking up in the morning, drool coming out of their mouths, sleep in their eyes. You know, it's on really nice quality paper, just like magazines. Lots of articles about normal people doing normal things. And what if the premise was like, you know, okay, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, everyone is just as beautiful as you in our magazine proves that. Then you have this, like the December section. It's going to be Midwest men with their shirts off. Okay? <laughs> 
pasty white, you know, and, and it's and it's just and it's wonderful, and you know, and this and this is like the cover story. It's beautiful. This and this is the, why do we show these pictures? Because everyone is beautiful. You know, another month come on. It's all about toes, and you're like, oh, toe month is coming. Oh my goodness, toe month. I can't wait for toe month. It's, it's just so it's just so wonderful. I, I gotta wait for toe month. Editorial sections, you know, they're all about crooked noses and, and calves, and there's every weight and color and size and shape. And everyone is beautiful. And there's articles in these like Botox is a lie and airbrush girls are not real and everyone is misshapen and no one has a full body wax. Okay. And you get to the, you know, and, and there's like awards like the Red Carpet Awards and like Napoleon Dynamite is like the host because that's what it would have to be. Now, we talk about this and it's funny, but would this magazine sell? No, actually it wouldn't. Because you don't want to read about people doing the things you do. You want to read about the things that other people are doing and the really cool things and all that. Because we have the pretty people and the thin people and the toned people and then there's everyone else. How hard is it to get an entire society to change their opinion of how everything works? And that is what the book of Acts is about. Trying to get an entire society to change how they feel about things. It is an emerging movement that says everyone is equal and Caesar is not Lord and the world will not be held together by military conquest but by the Spirit of Jesus working through people in kindness and generosity. When we stop holding on to our stuff so tightly and we embrace our God that made us and gave us the stuff. Virgil is a poet that wrote in the early reign of the Caesars. And this is what he wrote about the Caesars. He says, uh, Caesar, the one who is to come will be the divine king of salvation for whom mankind has waited. Okay? So, so he spoke of Caesar as the divine king of salvation. He said, he will annihilate the evil of the past and free people from unceasing fear. So the first question that in the first century is, will Caesar get rid of fear on earth? Is Caesar really Lord? The third thing he says is Caesar will establish a universal empire of peace and lead in the golden age for a blessing of a renewed humanity. And as a first century person, you have to figure out, do I buy into this propaganda that Caesar will bring this about? And in a far corner of the empire, a group of people say Caesar will bring about no sort of peace at all. Open to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. That's why you kept your finger there because you're already there. Okay. Acts 2, 42. says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And fellowship is more than casseroles and potlucks. Fellowship actually has its root in brotherhood and fidelity. That's where the root of fellowship is. It was a sense of commitment to each other that, that I have your back no matter what. I will not desert you. Teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. And bread here is very important because bread was how Caesar kept the masses happy. They would do a big show when they call it bread and circus. He would have a lavish display, and they would say, Caesar is Lord. He would give them bread and say, see, I give you bread. But not all the time because they're actually still starving. But this is like a big publicity stunt. The first believers get together, and they are breaking bread. And they are saying, in the spirit of Jesus, we will take care of each other. They had this thing called the agape, which is what they would translate as the love feast. You know, And just as you, ooh, the love feast, that sounds like something... I, Kids aren't allowed to go to. You know, and that's what people actually in this culture, oh, they're having a love feast? Oh, that must be like some big orgy. And people thought that about the early Christians, the, the, the love feast. But they would get together at this thing and say, we're going to eat over a table. We're going to meet at so-and-so's house on Friday. And they would gather and they would get together and they would say, okay, uh, is your roof, your roof's okay? It's not leak? Okay, good. Uh, how's your kids? You got clothes? You got, you know, every food taken care of? Yes, everybody's needs met? Okay, good. Let's eat. That's what they would do. This was a new way of living. They had each other's backs. They canceled each other's debts. The claim of Caesar is that he will rebuild this. He will fix all the problems of the previous administration. 
And he doesn't. And he doesn't. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good. They gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And this becomes the church. And what's really interesting is that when they become the church, you know what name they take on for a church? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Thirteen times in the New Testament they use this word to refer to the church, Ecclesia. And they said, we have Ecclesias not where Caesar is worshipped, but where Jesus is worshipped. For them, the message was about you and I taking care of each other. They are creating a new kind of society. Now, this is, one of, this is one of the reasons why my wife and I give to Element, among other things. Because I want, with my limited resources, to help create a new kind of community. I don't necessarily need bigger and bigger closets. I want to be part of a revolutionary community where we can say everyone's legitimate needs are met. You know, I, I personally have this, this idea, and I'm starting to work on it, next, like I'm not busy enough, but I, I got this idea, uh, and I want to call this thing One Source. And I want to talk to all the churches and nonprofits in town, and I want and I want to make a database so they can put all the stuff that they have that they're giving away, you know, into this database. And then we can take one place where they send all these people who go to all these places for all these needs, and then go to one place that keeps track of them, so nobody abuses the system, and the people who need help when they show up can actually get help because someone's not going from place to place to place to place taking all the stuff and then selling it to buy the stuff they shouldn't be buying. One source, one place, fast, efficient donations, like a big helpful mafia. That's what I want. That's what I want. Where the resurrection is on display every single day. Jim Wallace writes this. He says, Our religious congregations are not meant to be social organizations that merely reflect the wider culture's values, but dynamic countercultural communities whose purpose is to reshape both lives and societies. A church is not supposed to be a place that's like everywhere else except we hang a cross on the wall. Except here because we don't have a place to put one, but you know, you know like that. A church is a place. You know, where people come together and they love those around them and make sure needs are met is a people who are following the way of Jesus that becomes a countercultural community. Now, people ask me all the time about my politics and, and legislation, and, and I have pretty definite ideas on politics, stuff like this, but I never get up here and, and preach them to you. Sometimes people give us little uh, things to have you guys sign, like petitions, and I actually put those in the round file. That's the garbage cans. Because I will not get up here and I will not preach to you assembly bill, blah, blah, blah. I will preach to you Jesus Christ. Because that is what people need to hear. You know, because I believe that morality does not bring Jesus, but I believe Jesus brings morality. And so I, I actually believe that if Christians would put the same effort into living for Jesus that they put into being angry at the government, if they spoke about Jesus as much as they complained about the laws, if they got out of their homes and put Jesus on display by their actions, by loving their neighbors and communities, instead of spending all their time forwarding emails that say, do you love Jesus, but actually getting out and actually doing it, don't you think people would begin to see the difference and see the change in our lives? Don't you think that the world would go, what, what is up with that? When, when, when people start to change, don't you think that culture's values then we would begin to change? Of course. Of course. There's a girl that attends Element when she's not in college. Uh, she comes from a home where there's not a whole lot of love that is shown to her. She has terrible self-worth. She gets accepted to a college. She doesn't have the money to, to pay for the deposit. Her parents won't give it to her, to her. So there's a family at Element that give this girl uh, anonymously an envelope that has a deposit for college and so she can go to college. You know? Uh, there's a family that I know that, has, that lost their jobs 
and they don't have any food, and all of a sudden bags of groceries start showing up on their doorstep. Uh, I, I know someone else who has a spouse that's dying, and there are people from Element who have been by their house praying with them, helping their family, walking through the entire process with them. Uh, if, if you have a baby and, and you let us know that and you need help, we will give you so much food that you will never work off your baby weight. Okay? <laughs> Ever. We, we will stop by and start bringing you food. Ask Sean and Kara about that. We, we're like, you know, hey, we'll come and, and, and we will help. Let us know. Uh, my friend Jess Ayers this week, he was talking to me and he said, my wife couldn't come to church last week because her back was hurting so bad and I was going to call you guys and have you come pray for her. And I go, we would have come and prayed for her. And he goes, I know you would have come pray with her. Call us. We, we would be more than happy to do that. When people come and they want to argue about Jesus and the resurrection, I don't need to point to the historical evidence, though I could do that. I point to these things, these things, because there's no point to argue about all this stuff. I can just tell stories and read letters of all the things that God is doing in the midst of people. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, no needy persons among them. The grace of God was so powerful in their lives that no one had needs that were not met. The, re- the resurrection is about here and now, today, with real life and real ways. And I wonder about what type of community that we could actually become. Maybe people who have rejected Jesus their entire life would look and say, man, you know, I, I don't know what's going on there, but it's beautiful because Jesus is doing something in people's lives. Maybe today you are someone who you come to church, you've been burned by church. The church is capable of much good, but also much pain. You know what it is about church that causes so much confusion? You and me. That's what it is. We, we all have sin and junk in our lives, and we all get together and wonder why there is sin and junk here. Because we're here. Okay? If you just we clear out the room and nobody was here, then it would be the perfect church. right? But when we're all here, it's, it's, it's just us. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This for John is probably actually a reference to Nero or some other rulers, but I think John also believes there are evil forces in the world that have great sway. If you turn on and watch CNN or Fox News or whatever, it just makes this case. You see everything that's going on. And this is the world that Christians are supposed to speak into. And we say greed is not the answer. Generosity is simplicity, not accumulation. Everyone is beautiful in God's eyes. The church is like a body that stands up and takes on some of these greater values of our culture and says, no, we're not going to buy into that. You know, Donald Trump's view for the world is not redemptive or worthwhile. You're fired. Okay? The Jesus community says Jesus is Lord and we sacrifice for each other. You know, and, and Jesus' call is very simple. It is just very hard to live out. It is very hard, you know, and no wonder it's hard. Is there really any other organization on the entire face under heaven, on the entire face of the planet under heaven, whose sole goal is to bring glory to God by selflessly serving the world, who most of the time will actually hate it? We, everyone is in life for themselves, and it is so easy to become jaded that nothing claims this type of calling, nothing Our life is to be lived missionally to make the world a better place, showing by our lives that everyone has worth and everyone has value, and hate doesn't get you anywhere, but forgiveness and grace does. And it will only happen when you connect your life to Jesus. And He does these things in you because we cannot do these things on our own. In the book, Jesus and Empire, Richard Horsley, he writes this, The renewed community that Jesus advocated and enacted also forms a striking contrast with the modern interpretation of His teaching. He's saying that the things Jesus was talking about, many people today still miss. 
He says, in the context of covenant renewal, this is Jesus calling people to live God's way, love in Jesus' world refers not to a feeling or an attitude, but to concrete economic practices and village communities, such as canceling debts and mutual sharing of resources. Hey, Jesus called a people. You, you, you follow Jesus, and many times there's a little whoosh and you feel real good, but that's not all it is. It is also concrete action. Love is what do you need? How can I help you? You need compassion, hope, love. You know, are, your needs, are you okay? When you read the world, the, wor- the words, the whole world is under the control of the evil one, and I talk about money and our stuff and paychecks, I'm getting at what we really love. It is why it becomes so hard to listen. You know, why we will take one week out of the six weeks we've talked about this and focus on that one and say, oh yeah, that one, I like that one. When you've got to take all six and put them together because they all go together. It is why I think many churches over-spiritualize the resurrection of Jesus to something somewhere else some other day, like it's your ticket into heaven. Because when we do that, we don't have to talk about bank accounts and what our hearts truly love. See, it is Jesus, it is resurrection, it is life and love, and the context of the church is all about concrete realities and the type of community that we are building. And we are, we are not going out to argue with people. When you simply invite them to a meal, maybe, you, you show them who truly cares about them. And you, and you can add, then ask the question, who, who really is Lord? Is it Jesus or, or Caesar? And what is the more compelling for the vision, compelling vision for the world? Is it Jesus' vision or the world's vision for itself? So we are people that simply say, come and see, and let's see if that doesn't rebuild the world in a much better way. Now, I, uh, I read a book, many books. I read a book uh, a while ago, and I actually gave this illustration a while ago. I'm going to give it to you again. Uh, imagine there's an average street in an average city. Uh, it doesn't exist, but if it did, okay? Imagine, so yeah, person X lives in a house on this street. Next to them is a Hindu on the other side is a Muslim. Across the street is an atheist. Next to them is an agnostic. Next to them, you like the pictures, right? <laughs> Next to them is, is, a, is a house where a couple sits in the back and flicks their cigarette butts in the yard. Next to them. Sounds a lot like my neighborhood so far where I used to live. That's all I'm saying. Uh, next to them are 10 families that live in one house. Uh, next to them is a plumber. Next to them is a software engineer. Next to them is someone who makes barbecue sauce for a living. Next to them, somebody used to live in Alabama. Boy, this sounds a lot like my old neighborhood. I'm telling you, okay? Maybe it's your neighborhood. I don't know. But. So imagine person X. They become a Christian. I just think it's funny. All right. Uh, they, they go to a church service. You know, they, maybe they read something somewhere. They're, they're inspired, and they start to give their life to Christ, and they follow the way of Jesus. This person then actually starts living out because that's always the point, people living out the gospel. They live out Jesus' teaching. You know, so they become more compassionate, more forgiving. They become more loving. Is this person becoming a better or a worse neighbor? Better, better. If I am their neighbor, am I thrilled about their new faith? You should be. We find, do we find ourselves more grateful for a neighbor like this? You should if they're living the way of Jesus because we wish more and more people would be like this. So the good news of Jesus is good news for the new believer, but it's also good news for their neighbors. And it's also good news for the whole street, or it should be. It's good news for those who even don't believe it. And to understand the mission, this is something we have to get clear about the church. The good news of person X is good news for the whole street. Because if it isn't good news for the whole street, then it isn't good news for anybody. And if it's good news for the whole street, then it's good news for the whole world. Because if the gospel isn't good news for everybody, then it isn't good news for anybody. The good news of Jesus says that Jesus does not save people just to become selfish, inward-looking people who only want their own security and they're trying to get a ticket out of this place. 
Okay? He came to save us so it will spill over into the world to those who desperately need it. And so we live to be a blessing because that is what honors God. And we love people because everyone is an image bearer of God. And hopefully people, when they see the way we live, will begin to say, I am so glad they believe in Jesus, maybe I should too. And given enough time, that might just change the world. That might. We must be a people who stop holding on so strongly to our stuff and embrace our good God that loves us. A God who in generosity has come to redeem us from our sin and bring us to a place of grace. I mean, this is what Christmas is all about. God's life and His grace and His love and His freedom to worship Him how He calls us to, free from the bondage to our stuff and to believe everybody is beautiful. And so are you. This morning, I invite you guys to take communion. Communion is the place where God shows His generosity to you and I. He sends His Son to come and die for us. So you take that cracker and you break it and it reminds us of His body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice which reminds us of His blood that was shed for you and I so that we can be a people who can have all of our ties severed to all of our stuff so we can truly embrace and worship our God who is very good to us. And we're going to worship God through song. The band's going to come back up. I'm going to lead a couple songs where hopefully in these few moments you can take some time and figure out again, you know, what am I connected to? What, what is my ranking system for the things that I see around me? And God, how do I need to change those things in my life? How can your spirit change me to see the world as you intend me, intend for me to see it? Uh, we're going to worship God uh, through prayer. Uh, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back, and if you guys need prayer, you want to meet who Jesus Christ is, you never met him before, they would love to pray with you. Uh, if, if you have a bizarre ranking system in your head, uh, I would invite you to go pray with him, and maybe we can kind of get a little bit of that worked out so you can see things, maybe how God sees it a little better. I we worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the very back, and we give because God gave so much to us, and giving is part of our worship to him. And we we'll worship God through fellowship where you guys get to know each other better. A bunch of cookies back there, right? People brought cookies? There you go. You guys brought cookies. Good for you. Hope nobody sneezed on them, you know, but, but they're back there. And tons of, so get a sugar rush and then drive home. It'll be great when you get pulled over. What? The pastor said eat lots of cookies and drive. I don't know what happened. Yeah. So, and and I, actually, again, uh, if you are in a small group or a group of friends, you know, maybe you're going out to lunch this week. I would invite you. Ask the people at lunch this week. You know, what's your ranking system? What does it look like? You know, and then how does Jesus call us to see the world? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be this type of countercultural community, uh, the community that that sees the call that you have placed within us and that begins to live as you called us to live. God, we know that you created us uh, with the unique individualness that we have. But so often we need to be emptied of ourselves and filled with you. And so today I ask that you would give us your strength and your wisdom and your guidance to be this generous type of people that takes care of needs around us, whether it's somebody needing hope or compassion or, or love or friendship, or whether it's even something like Christmas for Kids where we help families to experience your love at Christmas time. Father, help us to be a people who live for you and say, that Jesus is Lord, and it is not Caesar, and it is not our world's ways, it is you. A people wholly sold out to your cause of redemption. 
Thank you for loving us the way that you have. Amen.